Hello, beloved. You guys look so good today. That's right. Jeremiah, definitely. All right. My name's Matt. I am the family's pastor. I've met several folks, new faces today. So let me introduce myself to you. I am not heavily medicated today, although after spending a week with your teenagers, perhaps I should be. Instead, I'm heavily meditated. And uh, let me just say that this was an honor and a privilege to be with your kids. And uh, I want to echo what Jody offered to you this morning. And that thank you so much for making a way for them to attend this camp. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, maybe you came in a little late. We were at Montreat. Who knew we would find... Uh, the Presbyterians to be so welcoming uh, to us, but they did. Uh, they loved on our kids. They loved on uh, Jeff and I while we were there, and uh, we're excited about this becoming a yearly excursion pilgrimage back to Montreat, which is a wonderful campground if you haven't been there, and uh, really just having an opportunity to grow closer to God, ourselves, and others really all of creation as we're intended to do at that space in that place. But not only am I hanging out with teenagers this last week, <laughs> but this week, as Jody said, I think is our VBS. <clears throat> and so I'll be hanging out with your little ones. So this is the chance for your four and five-year-olds to finish me off. Uh, <laughs> who knows what t-shirt I'll be wearing <laughs> next week when this is over. Listen, if you haven't registered your kids, then we need you to do so. And we need you to do that digitally. So you may have signed up earlier in the last month or so, but we, we need you to go online. And if you haven't done that and your kids are planning on coming, just see me or see Beth or see Heather. And we'll make that happen today before you leave if you want. If not, show up tomorrow. We'll figure out a way to get your kids in. I'm over recreation, and we're going to have the best time there. Now, uh, before we get into the meat of our service, uh, I just want to remind those uh, who call the Grove their home, you, you Groovies, you Grovians, whatever we are, um, and, and let you who are new to us that this year after Easter, we began a year-long series uh, called Telling God's Story. And uh, there's a, a biblical scholar and professor by the name of Pete Enns who has put this together and our goal is to not just share the good news and the story of God, but to do it in a way that your children can embrace it developmentally. So for instance, we stay away from a lot of the passages in the Old Testament that are difficult to kind of put into, uh, into young, young people's little minds. Now you probably were like me and you grew up with lots of Noah and the ark. That's a big children's story, right? Um, and then you got to be a teenager and you realized that, wait, God killed everybody? That doesn't seem so cuddly anymore. Uh, <laughs> so what we're doing is this year, we're spending time just focusing on the person of Jesus. And not only that, but from our pre-K all the way up into here, we're basically following the same passage. So this week's passage comes from um, the Gospel of Matthew, and it is Jesus blesses and prays for the children. 
So let me go ahead and, uh, is this mic out? I felt like it went out. Is it back on? What? What are we doing? Are we? Hello? I felt like a Matrix moment right there. <laughs> All right. So I don't know if you heard anything I just said. It was really good. Check the tape. Um, but we're looking at the gospel of Matthew 19 and it says, then little children were brought to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. And Jesus said, let the children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And when he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. I don't think you understand how radical this was and how subversive an act this was for Jesus to perform. Because I like to read a whole lot of stuff that I probably shouldn't read. When I took this gig, it had been a long time since I had been a children's pastor. Going from classroom and college or the university to three-year-olds is a test of how well you know the material. <laughs> But I will say this, the first thing I did is I picked up an academic study on the history of childhood. And I don't know if you knew this, but it was the Christians in the early church that actually brought the status of human to children. Children were viewed in the time of Jesus as not real people. They had potential and they had actuality, but they were not considered full-scale human beings. And in situations like this, Jesus, as God in flesh, lets us know that from our very smallest points, we're viewed for, we're cared for, and we're seen and named by our God. Um, it's my pleasure to introduce our guest today. And we're going to, this is the third year of our Hewlin series right? I just made that up. But Charles, if you'll come on up. Charles Eulen is an associate professor of music at Southeastern University where Jeff and Jody and Nicole and I and others of you in here have graduated from or attended. And Charles is going to come. He's a beautiful, beautiful musician. He has one of the keenest wits that I've ever met and one of the kindest hearts that you'll ever have the opportunity to meet as well. So he's going to come with us, and I just ask that you open your hearts and your minds, maybe place your feet on the floor in a position so that you feel grounded and safe and comfortable, and let him lead us into the bosom of Abraham. That was, that was weird. Uh, <laughs> Charles, thank you. Come on up before I say what other weird things. Uh, <laughs> Well, I, I've always enjoyed being here in this Hewlin series. That's my last name, Hewlin. It's kind of like human. So, um, and I appreciate uh, Matt's introductions because he kind of helps me annually to remember who I might be or who I could be, and I appreciate it. And also he says a little bit strange things that let me know I can be as weird as I want to here or just as weird as I am. Um, so I, I thank you. I appreciate most places I go, I can't be as weird as I am or want to. 
but I, I always am inspired by coming here, and it, it feels like to me, just in these one or two day glances I get of your community, that this is a place that's warm and creative and welcoming and supportive, and it's just a space where you can encounter that God loves you, and you can be you. So that's, that's rare, and I like being here. When, um, today, what I'd like to do is, um, well, you heard that I'm a music professor. I'm very interested in how music can shape our spiritual lives, ways we can employ it to shape us, and that will be part of what I'm doing here. Uh, we're kind of doing this in three stages. The first stage is to uh, use some music to get us a little bit oriented. I think we're already quite oriented in the direction I wanted to go, but I'm just going to trust that this plan is what needs to happen. Um, the second thing is to use the music to kind of work through an idea, and it's actually a bunch of ideas. I'm, I'm thinking a lot about the Lord's Prayer these days, so well, musically... We'll see what music can, uh, the experience of music can add to our understanding of that prayer or maybe our experience of praying it. And then finally, I want to just create a little more space and a little time for the Spirit to do what the Spirit wants to do with us. Um, I am currently feeling like, well, I feel like saying it this way. I recently judged a little piano competition and one of the children came in and said, I come to you from second grade. And, and I just felt that this was so true because, uh, you know, I was there to judge some sort of musical values, but this child was provi fully providing that she was coming from second grade and she was providing me that exact experience that we all, uh, you know, that is a place and a time that we've all been in. And I, I, so I come to you from, uh, I've passed through the awkwardness of, you know, the I guess, teenage years, college years, and I moved on into the awkwardness of middle age, and uh, I'm a little burned out from administrative duties at my job, and, and I still have a lot of questions, but, uh, and I feel like I'm, I hope I'm about halfway through my life. I'm 47, uh, so I believe a lot of us who are in our 40s now have a chance at living into, you know, 90s or 100. So that's where I'm coming from today, and I feel like most of the time, life is moving too fast, and it's too noisy. And uh, that is just an onslaught from the outside and from the inside. And because of that, uh, I desire slowing down and quieting, and I never get enough of those. Um, so I want to begin by us moving kind of in just a slowing down and a quieting and knowing that's what we're going to do for the next little while. And, uh, and you all have already kind of introduced that that's, that's what we do here to some extent. If Dawn will put up that first uh, slide... I have three images I want to show you today, and uh, this, uh, I went with a group to Rome recently, and uh, I saw some things that were kind of eye-opening to me. It might be hard to make this out, but this is one of the earliest images uh, that Christians made that we still have. It's on one of the walls in the catacombs, and while I was there, I learned that the earliest images of Jesus are uh, not him on the cross or him being resurrected or serving communion, any of these things, they're images of Jesus teaching and images of Jesus as a shepherd. 
And those were actually kind of exactly what Jody said. She's, she referred to herself as a pastor teacher here, or teaching pastor, and pastor is a similar word to shepherd. So uh, I invite us, I'm gonna play you a little piece by Claude Debussy. One of my rules is when I go play somewhere, if I'm gonna play my music, I also should play something by a, a really good composer. So I'm gonna play you just a little bit of Debussy, and uh, I invite you to look at this image of, this is Jesus as someone in the, second or third century saw him uh, teaching. And the piece I'm playing is called The Little Shepherd. It's a piece that uh, W.C. wrote for his daughter and based on a, a toy that she had. So I just invite you to picture, you know, what I feel like is one of the best things, to slow down, to be present, uh, to commune. Thank you. Um, anyway, we're kind of moving into the second aspect of what I'd like to do today, and that is to, uh, we're going to sing together uh, the Lord's Prayer, and this is a, a little setting of the Lord's Prayer that I wrote a few weeks ago, and, uh, and I want to invite you all to sing. Um, we don't all feel comfortable singing 
because maybe when we were little, somebody told us we couldn't, or we we're afraid somebody's going to hear us. I'm not a singer, and uh, you have a lot of good singers here, so that's good. But uh, uh, however you're feeling about singing, there's a good chance I feel more vulnerable singing than you do in front of all of you. My goal with singing is really that no one ever hear me. Um, but it's kind of hard to lead a song with that, with that goal. Um, <laughs> But the reason I invite you to sing is not because I want to hear you sing. I mean, I would enjoy, I have enjoyed hearing you sing. But uh, science has told us that when we experience something musically, when we sing it, our brain processes it differently. It's part of, I think it's part of all of us being transformed. Uh, there are these beautiful stories, uh, some of you have probably come across these, of people with brain damage who, for, for example, can no longer dress themselves. But when they learn a song that gives them the process of dressing themselves, they can sing the song and follow the directions and dress themselves. Uh, so this tells me that music does something with the brain that talking doesn't. So, uh, so I invite you, for the sake of your own transformation, to sing with me and, uh, and support me in my vulnerability. Um, so it starts like this. Let me make sure it's not too high or too low. Seems like a good note. Okay. Uh, I'll sing a little bit and you'll sing back to me until we feel kind of comfortable with it. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You did that really, really well. Uh, let's, let's do that again. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. All right, let's get inside the music just a little bit. So, you know, that Our Father, there's some longing to that. And the music, you know, it leaps up, and you can hear when we land on the Fa of Father, that note there's some longing to it, and it, it's leapt, we've leapt up to it, or reaching up, and then it falls down just a little bit and feels resolved. And there's something just beautiful about knowing that we're related to God. I mean, it's just overwhelming that this cosmic creator of the universe is related to us as father, as a parent. Yeah. Um, and then notice, okay, our Father who art in heaven, heaven is up higher. Right? And, uh, and then there are these little quick notes on Hallowed where we're saying that God's name is holy and we're uh, you know, adding what we can to that sense of holiness, that those fast notes are like just a little shimmer on that, that holiness or a shimmer of the holiness. So let's, let's just sing that a little bit again, thinking about that longing and the elevatedness of heaven, like these hot air balloons that are rising, and, uh, and then that shimmer of holiness together. Our Father... Who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Yeah, hallowed sounded extra sparkly just then. Uh, okay. Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Y'all are, are so, so good at this. We're, gonna, uh, we're not going to resolve the heaven. It just stays on heaven because we're, maybe we're not quite there yet. Um, that little bit, you know, when, you re when you, something gets repeated, 
it, there's usually a reason that it's repeated, right? Often, the second time you say it, there's greater insistence. And you know, in the Lord's Prayer, it's got this kind of parallel structure, right? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. These things are very related. So the music for thy kingdom come, and then thy will be done, is the same music to kind of imply this insistence uh, on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is. So we travel from earth kind of up, but it also brings heaven back down. On heaven, in heaven. Let's see if we can do that together. So a little insistence as we get into that, that second phrase, and then a sense of being on earth, going up to heaven and trying to bring some of that back down. Let's see. Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. It's a little trickier. Uh, Give us this day. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. Yeah. So notice the uh, give us this day our daily bread. It's kind of plotting the, the rhythm there. It feels kind of like the, the daily, all the daily stuff. And then when we get to forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, uh, those are what we call dotted notes. They're a little snappy sounding. And uh, I remember this, this great baritone that I used to accompany him, his lessons when he was teaching, he once said that it's the dotted notes, that snappiness, where the religious vigor comes into the music. Yeah, so that, that, this part about us forgiving the debts, that's, you know, that's uh, so central to our identity as Christians, as, as Jesus is defining it in this prayer. So that's, if there's anything to be militant about, it seems like the forgiveness would be the thing to start getting militant about. Uh, let's see if we can sing that little part again. Uh, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Y'all are gonna sing that way better than I did. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And this seems like really the climactic moment in the, in the prayer. Lead us not into temptation. So we climb up that hill and lead us not into temptation. And then I like the way that I, I like the way I said it. Yeah. But deliver us from evil just sounds like the simple little flowing away from whatever that temptation was. You know, as if just a little path was shown, and instead of being going into this huge hill of temptation, we just, oh, there's a path. Deliver us from evil. Let's sing that last little bit again. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Okay, thank you. Um... Let's see the next uh, slide, please. Looks a lot like the first one. (laughs) 
Don, when you have a chance, if we can see that. There we go. Thank you. So on that same trip earlier this summer with some, with some church folks, we were in uh, Florence. And we went into this church called Santa Maria Novella. And in there, there's this painting. It's, a fa- it's famous because it's one of the first paintings where the, the artist has really applied a sense of perspective uh, to really stunning effect. It's by Masaggio, the early Renaissance artist. And some people call it the 3D Trinity. Yeah. Um, I don't know how well you can see it, but of course, Jesus on the cross there. And then God standing behind him. And you can't, I can't make out from here this male image of God, his facial expression. But it's, it's an odd facial expression. It's hard to understand exactly what's going on there. And I was, in, I was intrigued about the painting. I heard about it several years ago and thought I'd like to see this 3D trinity. Um, then when I saw the painting, I, I was bothered by it. Because... Jesus is on the cross, and God is right there like he's holding up the cross, like he's, as if he's presenting the cross for Jesus to be on it, uh, like he's putting him there. And I'm uncomfortable and upset by that particular thought. A lot of us have that thought. We've been taught that thought, and I'm not, like, I'm really not qualified to say that is or is not a good thought, but it, the thought bothers me. Um, so I spent some time looking at the painting, and then it started to say something different to me. So I realized that uh, if I picture the whole scene of the crucifixion, everybody there who was there, um, and God, if I picture God as this person standing right behind the cross, his hands are on the cross. I think he's touching the cross can see a few fingers on that side. Um, He's actually, of everybody in the scene, he is the one, the closest to Jesus. His chest is up against the back of the cross. And he's actually in the same uh, cross posture as Jesus. Jesus just can't see him. And... um, and, you know, I feel like that a lot myself. Now, I'm, I'm often wondering, where's God? If this is like this, where's God? Or how could there be a God if this is what's happening? And a lot of times it's my suffering. Not that my suffering's that great, but a lot of times it is my pain that causes me to not be able to get turned around quite right to see that God's there. But this same God is, I do firmly believe, as close as possible to me. It's been my, I will witness, I will confess to this, it's been my experience that God reveals to me who I am. I would think, oh, I would know who I am, but actually in my middle ages, in my middle age, I am discovering, oh, that's how I am. And it's, it's through spiritual practices that I find out, oh, this is actually how I am. So I think there's a lot of truth for me to this painting, and it tells me a lot about where God is. So God, as Jesus, is, is suffering, co-suffering. And then God, the parent, is as close as possible, but not possible to see. And then what looks like a collar on God is actually a dove. And 
some, I think I heard a gasp just now. Um, and I think that dove, uh, it, looking at the painting, it took me a while to notice the dove was there. I had forgot that this was supposed to be a 3D trinity. But, uh, and I think there's a lot of truth to how that is too, because the spirit is moving around, but I, most of the time I'm not even seeing or noticing or thinking about the spirit. And if I go back and think about the prayer for a minute... I just want to gloss a few things in the prayer real fast, if I may. Gloss, that's a medieval word that professors say, I think. Uh, so um, when I start, pre- okay, so what I want to do now, if it's all right, I want to just be real frank, which is a thing that professors aren't always great at because we spend time working on academic writing. And some of you have read some of that, so you know what I'm saying. So at any rate, I just want to be open with you, even maybe more so than I have been, and uh, say that the, uh, you know, this prayer it, it is our model prayer. It actually conveys a lot of, it contains a lot of theology. It, it's been challenging me. I'm in the middle of being challenged. I've done virtually nothing about this yet. But I'm in the middle of being challenged because it feels like the prayer could also be a rule of life. You know, Jesus outlining, here's, here are priorities for how you would live. Right, right so when I'm, it, it struck me one day that the prayer, well, it starts off with our which immediately lets me know it's not just my prayer. So whether it all resonates with me all the time, uh, I might be praying it for somebody else, and I'm praying it as one of us. We're not alone. And then it says father. And as we know, father, parent, genetically, this, this relationship is as related as you get. Right? Um, like I am a recapitulation of my dad. My name is Charles Hewell IV, so it's very clear that I am a... a I'm a recapitulation of my great-grandfather. So there's that closest possible relatedness, and Jesus is saying that's how it is in the prayer, that God is that one who is, you know, closer to you than you are, you know, within you. But then immediately he says, our Father, who art in heaven? And one day, this is a revelation for me, that, you know, I, I struggle with sometimes not being able to see God, um, but Jesus, right there in the prayer, told me this God is not viewable in any conventional way. This is a God who is in heaven. This is God who is in a realm that is inaccessible to us now, which is another way of saying this God is, you know, incredibly close, imminent, as we say, and also transcendent. So we have the closest possible relationship with one who completely transcends us. Um, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. I think I'm, I feel like I'm running a little bit long on time, so I'm, I'm wanting to get to a little more music. But I also want to say a few more things about the prayer. Um, we know from the crucifixion that you could not assert you were a king and it not be understood as, a, as a opposition to Caesar. Right. So however spiritual we want to make that sound, it was understood to be a move within the world. You know, Jesus said, well, the scriptures say, in the world, but not of the world. But that doesn't mean not in the world. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and Jesus is saying that however it is in heaven, happen on earth like that. And then the, fall, the ideas after that just in, the script, in the prayer just flow out of that. Well, how would we do that? Well, if I picture heaven, there's not hunger, there's not loss, there's not 
pain, they're not tears. And how can I, you know, be part of answering that prayer? Like in a lot of ways I can be part of answering that prayer. And then he goes on to say, give us this day our daily bread. And the daily bread thing, you know, there are limits on that. And this is part of what I'm really struggling with these days, or just starting to struggle with. Um, This is a prayer for enough, but not too much. And I have ample material possessions and supplies for me to, be, to enjoy eating uh, whatever I would like to. And, uh, and as long as I maintain my consumption, others do not have adequate uh, things like that. Also, there's spiritual daily bread. And sometimes I'm a, I'm a glutton for that. You know, I, I, this is, I think I might have more conviction about this, that I need to um, be content and thankful for whatever spiritual light comes to me and not always be wanting more of that and that you know, somehow taking me away from what's right in front of me. Um, and then the forgiveness part, which is where I talked about, it strikes me that Jesus doesn't, he doesn't encourage us to forgive there. He doesn't command us forgive, to forgive. He, he declares that we are forgiving. I don't, I don't even know what to think about that, except it's, it's amazing that he's saying that is going to be such a part of our community and who we are, that he's not even, he, he's just saying we are like that, and then that may God be that way to us. And it's, it's been my experience that forgiveness, whether we're forgiving another or forgiving ourselves, or we're learning to believe that God can forgive us, all those things are transformative of who we are and of our relationships. And then lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Last thing I'm going to say about the prayer, and we'll do just a little bit of music. Um, I said it begins with our, suggesting that it's not a prayer of any one individual. But I'll say the way way I tend to think of it when I get to lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil, I fixate on what I have been told are sins, and I fixate on the ones that are particularly uh, always causing me to stumble. Um, But... The prayer is, uh, lead us not into temptation. This is a prayer for everybody. And I think, and I guess this is really the point I'm trying to get to, perhaps the main point, uh, that there's a, a breadth of need that we, a breadth of need that we have that is not this narrow set of, oh, I did a wrong thing. Yeah. There's a morning prayer liturgy they use in Iona in Scotland, the Iona community. And to me, it, it opens up this way of praying as a community and praying more broadly for the world. I'm going to read that to you. Uh, so maybe it'll do something similar for you. It goes, before God, with the people of God, we confess to our brokenness, to the ways we wound our lives, the lives of others, and the life of the world. And when they do this liturgy, the celebrant responds with, may God forgive you, Christ renew you, and the Spirit enable you to grow in love. All right, we're going to move into this third little section, if we're okay, time-wise. 
it would be hard for you to say no now, I guess, also, right? Um, so if we can see the last slide, which we've already seen, this slide made a uh, ser- serendipitous appearance when we were hearing about God giving us life and it being God's breath in us. And there we see, uh, this is a painting by Raphael, we see little Jesus and little John and Mary. And I was also thinking about how, yes, it's God's breath in us. And then it was also Mary's everything in Jesus to get him here. Uh, Little fetus Jesus was entirely dependent on Mary. And here in this image, I like the fact that Mary has a book and she's teaching them I'm thinking the Magnificat curriculum, we might call it. And she's already, you know, Jesus and John, both at the beginnings of their careers, at least as they're described in the Bible, they, they say, repent. Right? And we've all heard it. This means turn. It means to turn around. And, um, and actually, this idea, the first time I had this idea was I heard Phil at Oasis speaking on Mary and the Magnificat and how she formed, most likely she was the one who formed Jesus's just radical theology. And you can see it in the Magnificat. Um, so I'm thinking that idea of turning and turning around. Mary was seeing that the world needed to turn around and she was telling Jesus that. And she might have been telling little John that. And in this painting... I think it's just a very beautiful spirit of communion, everybody turning to each other, kind of a sense of gravity, like in these relationships, they're keeping, like everything that needs to be there is there, and things are now in balance for things to to be whole. All right, so what I, how I would like to conclude is I'm going to play you a, a little piece called Turning. And this is a composition I wrote earlier this year. Um, It's based on little fragments from Handel's Messiah, uh, a section that's about John the Baptist, where it says, uh, you know, every uh, every valley shall be exalted, every hill shall be made low, the rough places uh, flat, and so forth. Um, I was thinking about John's call to repentance, to turning, And musically, what happens is I take those little segments and I run them forward and then I run them backwards. They're palindromes. It's not super audible, but but if you want to follow that sort of thing, you'll hear a lot of times it's long notes, short notes in the middle, and long notes at the end. So you might fill that shape there. But um, the point of this piece for this time is I, I want to invite you to think about this idea of turning and how there is, you know, we've often articulated the need for repentance Like at the beginning of your Christian life, you turn around and go the other way. Or at some point in your Christian life, you realize, oh, this is a sin. I need to stop that. It shouldn't be a continual way of living for me. And you need to turn around and go the other way. But I think there are also just an entire spectrum of turnings that happen on a daily basis. You know, oh, I need to go with these people a little while. That will... That would be good. Oh, I'm going to go up this path. We were discussing yesterday. I'm going up a path. Oh, it's getting dark. This is becoming dangerous. I need to go back down the path. Yeah. Um, sometimes we need to turn within and see, oh, there's a grief there that I need to spend time with or a joy that I'm not good about celebrating. Uh, and then other times we need to turn to each other. 
So I'm going to play a short-ish version of this piece and uh, just give you an opportunity to sit with each other, with me, with the Spirit, and open to this idea of turning whatever it is that uh, that would mean for you and the Spirit. Thank you so much, Charles. It's not, uh, it's not always that we have the opportunity to, to have modeled for us what it means to reflect on art. Um, art's that beauty and that meaning that reveals the world to us and ourselves to us. It's art that allows us to tie the, the everyday to the eternal and the mundane to the magnificent. And it's art that oftentimes provides a bath for our souls that cleanse us from the dust of the everyday. 
And so I hope that you've reflected on this and you've listened, whether it was the intention behind the notes and the way that a song might be structured, or that you've seen these paintings and what it is to look deeper than just the ordinary attention that we just give to something and move on. Art requires us to sit, to wait, and to look beyond what's at the service, surface. So if you will, uh, rise to your feet if you are able in your body, at least in your spirit. I want to remind you, uh, those of you who are parents, grandparents, VBS begins tomorrow night. Come and see one of us if you need to register your child. If you at the last minute have decided, I would love to get involved in that. I have a job for you. And then secondly, that you can see here on the table and here on the platform and in the back, we have these baskets. Um, We don't pass the plate uh, right now, we, we ask that you just come and bring your, your offering. If you're, if you're new to us, feel no compulsion or pressure. Uh, we do welcome checks and cash. Uh, Jesus loves cash. No, I'm, I'm, I'm playing there. Let me just end. <laughs> Good and caring presence within us around us and above us. Hold us in a sense of mystery and wonder. Let the fullness of your goodness be within us and around us and let all the world know your ways of caring and generosity. May we find we have all we need to meet each day without undue anxiety. Overlook our many stupidities Help us to release everyone from their stupidities. May we know we are accepted. Strengthen us that we will reach out to the best, always with the faith to rise above the ugly realities of our existence. And we celebrate the gifts you have given us. The rich kingdom of life's possibilities. The power to do good and the triumphs of good, and the moments when we have seen the glory and wonder of everything. You are life's richness. You are life's power. You are life's ultimate meaning. Always, and for everyone, and forevermore. Amen. Grove, love one another. Come and let Charles know. You're thankful for his ministry. If we can just give him a clap right now for that. As always, go out into this community and this world being God's hands and feet, proclaiming the good news that we are God's beloved. See ya.